Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to Are You For Real? My name is Tom, and with me as always is Grant. Hey, how you doing? Um, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm hanging in there, man. Uh, I got, I'm having some tummy troubles today. Full transparency, everybody. Uh, my tum-tum's not feeling too good. It is Monday, June 29th as I record this. Um, but, you know, I, I'm fighting through it because I'm excited. Grant has, uh, has not told me about the topic today. Um, so I don't know what we're getting into, but it sounds like it's going to be very exciting. So I'm, I'm going to let, uh, my excitement override my nausea here. Hopefully it's nothing serious. Um, yeah, I would, I would say I ate some bad shellfish or something, but I don't eat shellfish good or bad. So, uh, I don't know what the deal is. So anywho, I hope um, you're all right. I, I was having like a little bit of a cough and a, a phlegm thing, so I was getting a little scared. Oh, you know? but, geez, uh, man. Seems to be passing. Well, everything is ramping up here uh, as of today in the United States. We're having um, several other um, COVID-related hotspots have popped up, uh, one of them being north of us in Los Angeles. Uh, as many of you know, we broadcast out of San Diego, California, and it uh, seems like L.A. is um is is spiking right now and there are certain areas in uh i think imperial county that are spiking too so anyway just uh on that having said that just want to urge everyone to be careful uh no matter where you are uh if you're fortunate enough to be in a country where covid has run its course or uh if you have, you're fortunate enough to be in a country that has adept leadership to uh, guide you through uh, this this pandemic, please listen and just uh, I hope you all are doing okay. Sincerely, from definitely, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I was telling you, man, at my office. Apparently, there's been it's just the rumor mill, you know, but three confirmed cases there. But uh, just got permission to work from home starting tomorrow. So I'm going to go in and get the equipment and see how that goes, which I'm excited for. Good, man. Because it's, I think, it's know, worrying in there. Yeah, it is. And I, I still get the impression that people aren't taking it seriously. There's a there's a definite vein in the within the UFO community, too, of people who seem to think that COVID is just one massive conspiracy, which is just an unbelievably arrogant way to think, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's arrogant and selfish and you know, I'm not here. To, I'm not here to lecture anybody. But guess what? If you're not taking this seriously, I think you deserve some lecturing. So, uh, you must not be afraid to be skeptical. <laughs> you must not be afraid to be skeptical, but you must also accept facts when they're <laughs> presented to you unequivocally. Uh, but um, oh wait, hang on, man. I'm I'm sorry. I seem to be there's some distortion here. I don't. Some mic, mic are you trouble? getting that? Yeah, are you are you getting that? Wait, I'm some kind of something. It's UFO news. That's right. <laughs> it's so easy for us to entertain entertain ourselves. But um, yeah, I I was telling you, man. I think maybe we should just change the the name of it to uh, to the Stars Academy News. But uh, I just wanted to. <laughs> I don't know. I've been a little behind on my research. We got a pretty big story here today, so uh, I've been 
you know, my, my uh, process takes a while, a little peek behind the curtains. I'm, uh, I usually spend a good week like aggregating all the different, uh, information and, and resources and sources, um, and then kind of put them all together in my head into a story, you know, basic writing stuff, uh, reporting stuff. And then, uh, until I have a clear narrative that I want to share and then try and aggregate everything. But, um, so I haven't really had time to look over, like I was saying, look over the MUFON announcements or new sightings or anything, but uh, I did get another, uh, another little ding in my inbox from TTSA, the to the stars Academy. And, uh, it looked pretty interesting. So just wanted to give a heads up to everyone. Um, it looks like To the Stars Academy announces support for UAP Task Force Inclusion and Intelligence Authorization Act for 2021. Um, they also say that the team returns for season two of Histories Unidentified on July 11th. So that's pretty exciting. Ah, oh, okay. Um, but but uh, yeah, this came out on June 24th, 2020, and in the ongoing monumental effort to destigmatize and legitimize legitimatize the problems surrounding unidentified aerial phenomena. And the potential threat it poses to our men and women in uniform. The Senate Select Committee on Intelligence introduced a bill for 2021 that includes an official public request for a UAP task force. The Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021 includes support for a UAP task force at the Office of Naval Intelligence in order to standardize the collection and reporting of UAPs across the intelligence community at the unclassified level. This strategy is to address the historic problem of inconsistent information and data sharing that subsequently lacked attention from senior leadership. And uh, basically, they just go on to say that they applaud this, and it's part of their mission to shed light on the the noteworthy problem of UAPs. Well, um, bravo, man. That sounds yeah. that sounds promising. I got no beef with that. You know, right. I I historically have been a little a little smarmy, a little talk downy. A little uh, snarky regarding to the Stars Academy and their motives, but this sounds like uh, this sounds um, sounds pretty good, man. This is something that I think everyone is uh, entitled to more transparency regarding the UAP phenomena. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, basically, they're just sharing the news and then kind of saying, "Yeah, we support this." <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it, it's it, not that it's going to happen, but at least they're. Um, I guess sort of putting their money where their mouth is and saying that they're they're going to attempt this. And it looks like it's not even attached to an article or a website that I can share here. It's just just the email, just for my eyes only. So uh, I'm not going to have a link to it or anything. All it says is all there are links for how to how to invest into the Stars Academy. <laughs> so, well, I trust you, and I'm sure all our listeners trust you as well, Grant. You're excuse me your information is uh is is trustworthy and you're a trust trustworthy gentleman well i'm just repeating what tom DeLong's saying but uh that makes you yeah. even more trustworthy i'm sure you can um you know you can type uap task force into google i'm sure you'll be able to find something on that but um let's get into the main topic of the night. yeah like i said i don't know what it's gonna be and i'm i'm super excited so that's why yeah, I, just, I've been, I just cut you off. That's how excited I am. <laughs> I've been given a, giving you little hints about it, I guess. I thought, I, I don't know. I, heard, I first heard this story again on a, a different podcast and I, I've been wanting to cover it cause it sounded pretty extraordinary. And, um, yeah, it's like, well, let me not jump the gun here. I'll just get into it. But everyone that's listening probably saw the title. So this is called the, uh, the Manhattan abduction as it's, as it's called or known as. So, 
at first I was worried that this topic wouldn't even be enough to fill a whole episode, but then the story just seemed to get stranger and stranger once I really looked into it. Um, so as I said, this week we're looking at the Manhattan abduction, which as it's called, <laughs> which was brought to light by Bud Hopkins, who we've, uh, we've discussed him a few times. He's a big, big name in the, the UFO research community. He is over the Budster. Uh, may he, uh, rest in power. I think he, um, I forget what his first book was called, but then he came out with Intruders, which was pretty big for him, I think. And that's the one that we've both read. Yeah. He also wrote one called Missing Time. That was his first one. That was the first uh, one? That's okay. it. That's the first one I read and uh, freaked me out as a wee lad. So. Uh, but do you recall in, in Intruders, he, he included a blurb to like contact contact him if he, if you've experienced anything similar or anything like that. So he had a lot of people reaching out to him. I think um, in an interview I watched, he said he was getting like 300 letters every few weeks or so. Wow. Of people yeah. who claim to have been abducted. Yeah. I heard people that had similar experiences or any, you know, um, who knows, probably, probably just fans too. But, um, Anyway, he wrote a book about this case called Witnessed, the true story of the Brooklyn Bridge UFO abductions. Whoa. Um, it involves a woman named Linda Napolitano, or better known by the alias Linda Cortile in Hopkins' book. Um, it might be Cortilla. I don't know. I, I heard – I couldn't really hear it too well when I was listening to the uh, the audio on there, but – um. I believe that's what Bud Hopkins' wife at the time pronounced as Cortila. But I'm going to say Cortile because that's how I go. Or you just say Linda. That works too. But. Yeah, I think I pretty much use Linda. And, and um, you know, when I'm reading from some of these articles, sometimes it'll be Napolitano, which I can't pronounce well, so I tend to avoid that one. I guess I can't do Cortile. Yeah, I like Linda, basically. it's a Well, you're not from very, Naples, Grant. You're, you're not from Naples, so it's under, understandable that you, you can't pronounce Napolitano. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm just uh, <laughs> right. like I said, I'm right. just, I have uh, a severe nausea right now for some reason. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in, uh, I'm not from Brooklyn either, so I don't know about this stuff. But um, so uh, basically, her story is that she woke up one night in 1989, surrounded by grays, and then she was levitated out of her Manhattan apartment window into a UFO in full sight of many witnesses on the Brooklyn Bridge and in the city. Uh, it really does sound like a scene straight out of a movie and gets even stranger, in my opinion. I'll, I'll mention that a few times. <laughs> um, um, I really couldn't find a lot of firsthand accounts from Linda about the actual abduction itself or what happened while she was in the UFO. But I'm sure if you read the book, it probably has a lot of these details in there. Um, as seems to be the norm in these scenarios, she doesn't really seem to remember the events of the night, very well besides the details i just mentioned and she really doesn't seem to recall what happened inside the ship at least i couldn't find any like really uh accounts of that uh, most of the details were later revealed over time to her as her memories came back and and after hypnosis sessions mm. I think, uh, bud hopkins that's a, a big part of his research is is doing those hypnosis sure hypnotisms not hypnoses but um one direct quote that i did find reads as so i'm standing up on nothing and they take me out all the way up way above the building oh i hope i don't fall the ufo opens up almost like a clam and then i'm inside 
said 41-year-old at the time, Linda. I see benches similar to regular benches, and they're bringing me down a hallway. Doors open like sliding doors. Inside are all these lights and buttons and a big, long table. I don't want to get up on that table. They get me on the table anyway. They start saying things to me, and I'm yelling. I can still yell. One of them says something that sounds like, Nobby egg. I think they were trying to tell me to be quiet because he put his hand over my mouth, end quote. And uh, I think that's kind of weird. Like, Whoa, so she heard alien language? She alleged, saying, yeah. How do, how, do you, how do you spell that? Well, it's in parentheses, so I think they're just doing the phonetic spelling, but it's N-O-B-B-Y-E-G-G. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I just... I think that's Dude. funny that they put their hand over her mouth like shut up. Maybe they were maybe she just had some breath. That's true. I mean, look, man, was this in the middle of the night? Yeah, that's she true. She probably that's had good. dragon breath, man. I mean, they might have just been like, "Whoa, we only have two little puncture holes for for uh, nostrils here, but man, you you need you need some uh, mentos." So, gosh, well, it's, it's their fault for waking her up in the middle of the night and just levitating her out of there, you know. Well, that that too. Uh, also, I mean, the the fact that it sounds like they might have been saying egg too. Maybe she had a hard boiled egg. <laughs> That's what they're saying. She's yeah. like, oh my god, eggs! Oh my god, eggs! Maybe that was alien for oh my god, eggs. Or they're just like she's got some knobby egg smells coming out of there. Um, but uh, speaking of firsthand accounts, I also have to mention that I found a great website related to this case called Linda Cortile Case. Com, which included details on all 23 of the supposed witnesses and also an interview with Linda Cortile from a uh, magazine, along with many other links that I didn't actually get a chance to click on. And um, so I found this site during my initial research while I was up too late one night looking for reference material. I, uh, I took a brief look at those two, um, you know, the the breakdown of all the witnesses. I was kind of scrolling through like half of them. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to come back to this. And then I, I was like, Oh, there's a firsthand interview. You know, I want to check that out. I got, got a good way into it. It was, it sounded like the reporter was mostly just flirting with her and stuff, but uh, I was hoping they would get in. No, nah, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't wow. say that, but um, <laughs> you know, they were just kind of chatting and um, they got into uh, you know, a little bit of details, but they didn't get to the actual abduction yet. And then I was like, okay, I'm coming back to this. But then, um, when I was finalizing my research, I, I go back to the link that I had saved, and suddenly the server was down. And I couldn't load the page anymore. Um, so I, I think we're being deep stated here. Uh, I was going to say deep state much. Right. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. I remember that happened in one of our first episodes, the Bob Lazar one. There was like a schematic that I wanted to share, and uh, I just couldn't get back to it. It always creeps me out, you know, when you're looking at something one day and then a couple days later, and it's. You know, these aren't like brand new websites that are like under revision all the time or anything like. Right. I mean, that that being said, uh, maybe this one is updated because I think they might still be active. I don't know. But they look like old websites, you know, and then all of a sudden they're just not there anymore, which is. Is it, uh, is it on? Are they like angelfire.com or whatever that is? That old uh, that old no, server or whatever that I mean, is. <laughs> no, I think I've seen a couple of those, but uh no, this one, it is just lindacortilecase.com. Um, I'm going to put the links in there anyway, just in case they come back on, because if, if someone's interested in reading more on this, like like I said, there was a plethora of inter- information on there, and um, I just didn't have a chance to get to it all. Probably good for me, because then it would have taken me like two more weeks to do this. But um, yeah, I would, I would recommend checking it out if, 
if you want to. And again, it's going to be in the show notes. I'm going to have a lot of links for this one, I think. Um, but uh, anyway, so let me get into an overview of the story here. And uh, as usual with these topics, there are quite a few stories on it in different blogs and uh, UFO or paranormal websites, all of which seem pretty similar. Um, although it doesn't sound like the most legitimate website, I think that the best general description of the case that I found was at eyeofthepsychic.com, uh, written by Philip Coppins. This article also had some interesting skeptical analysis, which I will get into later. Um, yeah, I'm going to be quoting heavily from this one because it kind of like I was going through all the different little blurbs, you know, and some of them are really short. Some of them are really long. But this one, it just it's, it's pretty long, but I think it, it captures all the details pretty well here. So hmm. it's a good place to start for the uninitiated. Good. Uh, so, and I am I am completely uninitiated. Uh, I'm familiar with. The first two Bud Hopkins books, but I'm not familiar with this case at all. So awesome, man. So I'm going to I'm just going to read through a, a big chunk of it here and I'll probably, as usual, uh, interrupt myself and start doing some commentary and stuff from the uh, supplemental material. Um, but in uh, April 1989, Hopkins received a letter from Linda Napolitano. Napolitano <laughs> saying she had begun to read his book Intruders his second on the subject at the time relatively recently published and had remembered that 13 years earlier, she had detected a bump next to her nose. It was examined by a physician who insisted that she had undergone nasal surgery. Linda claimed that she never had such surgery. She even checked with her mother who agreed. It resulted in a meeting with Hopkins upon which Linda began to obtain, uh, attend the meetings of his abductee support group. Um, yeah, and I've I've saw it I think in that magazine article that I started reading, and then in another video, uh, kind of interview type thing, she always mentions that she was she was looking for the Sinatra book. Uh, I guess she's a big Sinatra fan, but then uh, then she stumbled across Intruders, and she thought it looked interesting, looked like a thriller, you know, so she wanted to check it out. But then she got into the first chapter, and she's like, "Oh my God, I relate to this." Wow. Um, so back to the article. On November 30th, 1989, Linda called Hopkins and reported that she had been abducted during the early morning hours of that day, providing some details. Which is interesting. So she met Hopkins and said, I had this crazy thing. I mean, you understand that, right? She, a doctor looked at it and was like, yeah, you had some prior surgery. And she said, uh, no, I didn't. I think she thought it was like a tumor or something. She was worried it was a tumor at first when she noticed like a bump on her nose. Oh, was it, so it was on her nose, like on the, could you tell where on her nose? Like, was it on like the bridge or was it because, because, Honestly, from, yeah. Oh, so go ahead. Because in, in, uh, yeah, just so everyone knows we're still doing this through Skype. That's why we're talking over each other all the time. But, anyway, um, so in, in my understanding of a lot of abduction type stuff, people who claim to have received implants or like tag devices from aliens, um, sometimes they get tagged or implanted in their sinus cavity. So I was just wondering if she got – if this implant was like a nose ring or in the nose ring type area or was this uh, uh, up by you, the bridge well, of nose or – yeah, yeah, I believe it was up in the bridge. Like, um, I can't remember if it was Hopkins and himself, but I saw a video where they were talking about it, and it was pretty much like, pretty much like right between the eyes, up at the top of the bridge, maybe a little below the pineal gland. Um, and Hopkins mentioned, yeah, like a lot of times it'll be in the nose or in the in the ear, you know. 
um, near the optic nerve, I think he said. Um, so, so just chronologically speaking, she, um, she read Hopkins book and remembered that she had some kind of, uh, some, some weird thing going on with her nose. And then she got abducted that same. Yeah. So then she reaches out to him. Could you explain the chronology there? Just a little, just, just elaborate on that, please. Yeah, because it is a little strange. So yeah, she uh, she got in contact with him, and she was part of some support groups, I guess, that he ran for for people that all have this experience. Um, and uh, you know, because he's been knee deep in this stuff for a while at this point, he's got that book, and a lot of people are writing him. Um, and it it was all pretty standard until all of a sudden she calls him and says, "Hey, I had I got levitated out of my bed and and kind of told him the story that I told you." And uh, now she was like a, a big abductee, you know. Jeez. Yeah. And so uh, under hypnosis, uh, back to the article here, under hypnosis a few days later, Hopkins extracted the memory of an experience in which Napolit- Napolitano was levitated from her high-rise apartment into a hovering UFO. Asleep, she suddenly saw several alien figures standing beside her bed. She described these as the typical grays. The next morning, Linda contacted Bub bud hopkins and told him what she remembered about the abduction linda revealed over the course of many hypnosis sessions that while inside the craft the aliens had examined her Uh, nothing in these sessions made her case stand out and hopkins must have treated it as yet another case that confirmed uh, conformed to the norm the type of accounts he typically heard hypnosis in hypnosis out the case dramatically changed scope once hopkins had received the letter from the two policemen quote richard and quote unquote dan i think these are aliases um in february 1991 15 months after the abduction which launched him on a search to contact the two officers who refused to meet him wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute so where do these officers come into play did they did they witness it yeah exactly and i'll i'll get into that in much more detail here whoa uh, or a little more detail at least i don't want to overpromise and under deliver but um well detective yeah. dan better deliver all right what is it, what, what is it? uh dan and who uh dan and richard i, I believe oh yeah richard and dan um they uh detective dan and detective dick <laughs> and it's um yeah it is strange because it's you know over a year after it actually happened they reach out and contact him which which is strange but um so this chronologic the chronology of this is uh kind of strange you know like she meets up with him and then all of a sudden she she has a crazy abduction experience and then witnesses reach out a year you know over a year later 15 months so Um, yeah so she she uh, apparently at some point uh she's claiming that she had some kind of implant put in her then she, but she doesn't remember that. Uh, right. And then she reads part of the Intruders book by Bud Hopkins, and then she joins his support group, and then she has an experience. Well, we're assuming it's an implant, but um, at this okay. point, but uh, yeah, basically she's just been told that she had something done to her body that she should remember that she doesn't at all, you know. Okay. Meaning n- nasal surgery or whatever. Um. So the quote-unquote policemen had claimed that they had contacted Hopkins 
as ever since they had witnessed the abduction, they could not get the image out of their head. As to the reasons why they stayed out of reach, Hopkins learned that they were acting as security guards for a famous political figure. The two men, along with the then anonymous political figure, were heading towards the New York heliport when the car had stopped mysteriously on its own. The two bodyguards and the politician then witnessed the abduction. It almost seemed as if the abduction had been staged so that one of the most influential men in the world, the Secretary General of the UN, would see the alien reality himself. That same year, 1991, the case seemed to become even more solid when Hopkins received a letter from a woman, later nicknamed Janet Kimball, saying that while she was passing over the Brooklyn Bridge at 3 a.m. on November 30th, 1989, somehow all of the car's lights and engines on the bridge failed, including the streetlights on the bridge. She therefore got out of her car to see what had happened and saw, along with other drivers, a woman floating 12 stories high into a hovering UFO above her apartment building. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so it goes from being just a normal abduction case that he's heard a lot of these hypnosis sessions to like, Oh, I've got like witnesses here. And I don't know if yeah. you know you in general at this point, but, uh, that's, that's a pretty big fish, you know? Yeah. Se- wait, secretary general of the United okay. Nations. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I think. Okay. About these kind of Who things. was it? Do you know the name? Um, it's a name I can't really pronounce that well. But, is it uh, Co- is it Kofi something or other? No, no, it's this is back in uh, eighty nine. Eighty nine. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I'll have his name here. It, it gets to that. Okay. This stuff gets pretty saucy here, and that they're already kind of the way they describe that. You know how it was staged. That comes into uh, one of the theories that that this website uh, proposes. Hmm. Um. So, back, uh, quote, Hopkins must have felt this case was becoming too good to be true. It was. When during a routine examination, a metallic object was discovered inside Linda's nasal cavity, which which suggested that it might be an alien implant. Two weeks after the x-ray, she suffered a serious nosebleed during the night. In the morning, she found extensive bloodstains on her face and pillow. A later x-ray revealed that the metallic object was no longer present in her nostril. Though a conspicuous ridge of built-up cartilage showed that there had once been an implant, the suspicion, the quote-unquote suspicion, was that the aliens had implanted her, but that after the implant having been discovered, it was removed so that this, quote, alien technology would not fall in human hands. Still, it meant that the case remained just like all others, a case of, quote-unquote, reports, (laughs) They like to put stuff in quotations, but without any hard evidence, although the case remained much better than all others. Even though witnessed only appeared in 1996, Hopkins had gone public much. uh, Had gone public with the case much earlier, seeing that Richard and Dan only entered the scene in February 1991 when they sent him a letter. Hopkins first wrote about the incident in the September, December 1992 issues of the MUFON UFO Journal and had made a presentation at the July 1992 MUFON Symposium, where Linda had been present and had spoken in the assembled audience, or to the assembled audience. It was a weighty podium. Very heavy. Um, <laughs> no, that's my idea. Heavy, uh, heavy, heavy is, the, is the podium. No, it was a weighty podium, as three years earlier, Moore had used the forum to admit his involvement in the Benowitz affair and his status as an agent of disinformation. 
And we, we covered that kind of yeah. mirage, man. That's mentioned in that movie. Um, yeah. Okay, back here. Uh, by 1993, the... Mato- <laughs> oh, man. I'm getting worse at saying this. The Napolitano case had generated enormous interest and drawn international attention, being discussed in the Wall Street Journal, Jefferson, 1992, Omni, Baskin, 1992, Paris Match, De Brosis, 1992, The New York Times, Sontag, 1992, and Hopkins and Napolitano, napolitano had appeared on the television show inside edition wow i hope that was wait wasn't that when bill o'reilly was on it or wasn't bill o'reilly on inside edition um i don't know when he had his famous meltdown oh was that the show i don't know yeah he's like we'll do it live (laughs) i think it was inside uh, edition or maybe it was hard copy anyway um i yeah i should have gone back and tried to find that i i'm a I'm sure it would have popped up, but I'll I'll try and see if I can find the link and put it in the show notes here. I want to watch that too. But um, quote he meaning Hopkins also realized that if he could convince De Coulier to publicly corroborate the story, so I guess they didn't really say who who that dignitary was, but that's what he was. That was his name, De Coulier. De Coulier. De. Uh, I won't put. Sorry, sorry, audience. Um, to publicly corroborate the story, then it would be sensational. Perhaps it was one of the reasons why the publication was delayed, as quote unquote the deal would be substantially different with or without the Secretary General's endorsement. Imagine the headline: the book in which the Secretary General endorses the UFO reality and explains his own involvement and induction. Unfortunately, although the quote unquote third man apparently wrote him anonymous letters corroborating his claims uh, corroborating the claims he demanded anonymity hopkins apparently even approached him and engaged him in conversation at one point but without being able to pry from him the all-important testimony he sought as a consequence the man's identity remained undisclosed in the book though all ufo researchers and many of the book's readers by then knew it was none other than javier perez de cola cuyar it's C- yeah, I think L-L-A-R. it's C- Yeah, I look at it. It's probably Cuellar. Cuellar. Okay. Cuellar. Oh man, you're much Maybe better with the Cuellar. accent. My my wife's Argentinian too. I cannot do that. But yeah, uh, no, I <laughs> it's not good to me. Javier Perez <laughs> de Cuellar. Um, however, in a, is he? Uh, do you know what nationality is? So it looks like he is Peruvian. Okay. Um, and sense. also, just just a real quick point. If you could, I, I know I keep harping on the chronology here, but it's crucial in this case. Yeah. Um, so the uh, the security guards, right? They were security guards, or they were policemen. Um. Well, we're about to get into that, but they're actually CIA agents, apparently. Oh. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Then they were protecting Mister or escorting Mister Cuellar. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's okay. the story. At least this is where it get. I think the whole story gets kind of crazy, you know, because as if it didn't sound like enough of a movie already, where a UFO is just like hovering over Manhattan and teleporting somebody out their window or through the roof, and then um, yeah, you know, well, the traffic here's... stopping on the Brooklyn Bridge and everyone's getting out and seeing it. And it's lighting up the whole or whatever well here here's the thing man i um i went to new york for the first time in my life last year um 
and we flew in at night and it was one of the most uh, amazing experiences of my life uh just flying over new york and seeing all the lights even though it was night i mean it's nighttime of course there's going to be lights but uh, i've been to las vegas before and i've flown into vegas before but this was something else man so um part of me at first was like wait a minute new york city how come there weren't thousands of witnesses for this um but at the same time like there's so many lights there and there's so much going on and there are so many buildings obscuring people's views from everything um i could i could see how uh, you know even in a city of 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 85 trillion people like (laughs) like new york i could see how it could only have uh, a handful of witnesses even well especially if it's at 3 a.m as well yeah, that's true. Um, but I would think that would be kind of a story like the Phoenix Light. When was the Phoenix Lights? That was in 96 or 97. 96, okay. Yeah. Um, I would think everybody on the Brooklyn Bridge, their cars just dying and then starting back up later, and they all witness a – it's supposed to be like a really bright – you know how they say like when a UFO comes in the middle of the night, it looks like – it lights it up like daylight, you know? Um but we'll get into kind of that with with some of the witnesses here too, and I think a lot of people just assumed it was they were shooting a movie or something like that because it was so fantastic. Like these witnesses, they say they saw these bodies floating through the sky and going. They don't repeat that clam thing, but I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, yeah, and I don't think it said it in in this, but I did hear or read somewhere that uh, Napolitano said that she she seemed to just go through the roof. So. Pretty fascinating well, I'd, stuff. I'd be through the roof too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? she, well, and she was freaked out to have like little monsters just. She's like, right. you know, I lock. We lock our doors, and like, how did these get in here? Well, you know what, man? If I was about to get eaten by a floating clam, I think I'd go through the roof too. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, she went through the roof, and they said they told her to knob the egg, knob uh, the egg up, and uh, yeah, and, it, and you know what else, man? If, if I if I went through the roof, I'd start firing people off the roof. You know, <laughs> yeah. possibly could. Yeah, I would. Just like the Jerky Boys, I'd start firing people off the roof. <laughs> Frank Rizzo. Um. Anyway, uh, let's get back to here. So, uh, quote. Uh, However, an objective reading of the evidence reveals many inconsistencies and too good to be true coincidences that make it clear that Hopkins had, in fact, been set up. That the story had been concocted specifically in order for him to make the right connections and gradually uncover this perfect case. The first corner of this lid was lifted when Hopkins learned that the policemen now, I should say, quote unquote, policemen now, quote unquote, secret service agents were in reality CIA agents. They're government spooks. Um, In short, and and Richard was. Richard Doty. (laughs) Well, in short, what we are meant to believe is that two CIA operatives, rather than use their internal systems to try and find out whether Linda was all right and what had been going on, instead relied on Hopkins, a private citizen, to put all the pieces together. It would not have looked overly suspicious if it had remained with just one single letter. After all, perhaps the two agents were scared beyond belief and did not dare to contact the CIA's own fact-chasing machine. But it did not stop there. But the case falls apart when it was learned that in the original letter, 
The two mentioned that they could identify the building and window from which she emerged, even for a private citizen. This would present little problem in identifying the person involved. For the CIA, it is the easiest piece of cake. And I'm going to interrupt here for a second because that it did strike me when I first even heard it. Um, again, like, yeah, people would be blown away if they saw a UFO floating over the city and, and zoom off. Um, but they were able to, a lot of people were able to make out the details and see that it was a woman in a nightgown along with three little creatures with big heads. And so like, how could you see that detail even? I mean, I don't know how close yeah. it was. I mean, maybe if you're a couple hundred yards away, you could kind of tell, but, um, I don't know. Um, I've 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 been over some bridges to Manhattan. I I can't say specifically because I was a tourist. Obviously, uh, I can't say specifically if it was the Brooklyn Bridge, but um, on one of the bridges that, that I went over, I obviously was just staring out the window the entire time, and I didn't. I never got the impression that I was uh, that far away from dry land. Or anything, so I, okay. I feel I feel like I could. I, I can't say that in the middle of the night, uh, if there was a UFO, I would be able to conclusively see what window someone was floating out of with three big heads uh, in tow. Uh, I can't say that for sure, but um, right. Yeah, I guess you could make those details out. Maybe I'm being a little too skeptical because I'm oh, picturing really? like huge skyscrapers out of like Spider Man or something. But this is like an apartment building. Maybe it's like. 20 stories or something i don't know yeah and i think i think it um just from what little knowledge of new york that i have it seems like there are um all sorts of different size buildings too it's not like a uniformly um all the buildings aren't uniformly huge a lot of them are gigantic sure but there are other ones that are um not not nearly as big so uh it so i would love to hear from some of some of our new york listeners we know you're out there uh about this what do you what do you think so far please uh hit us up here (laughs) and to be fair it might have been at eye level kind of with the with the bridge um you know obviously with cameras and trick photography and everything it's hard to tell but uh there there is a video that i'll include in the notes where um uh, bud hopkins is on the bridge in the spot and they're they're looking at the the place where it happened and um you can kind of see the skyline but but you know it it cuts from him standing on the bridge to like a a shot of the skyline so it's kind of hard to tell exactly if if it's at level or what but it looked like about eye level if you know what i mean like it's not like it was angled up or anything and i you know i don't think they had a dolly out there or anything so um yeah okay Uh, and one of the witnesses does say it was about two football fields away so that's only like 200 yards you know yeah, uh, if my math is right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So um let's see, for the CIA it is the easiest piece of cake. <laughs> As opposed to the most difficult piece of cake. Yeah. This is where um uh, I forgot what those sites called, but these psychics are getting a little uh a little fed up with this. <laughs> They're getting a little skeptical. But um Wait, right, skept- wait, this. psychics are getting skeptical? Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. My head just exploded. I've never heard of a skeptical <laughs> psychic before. <laughs> uh, well, quote, it meant that from the very, oh, no, it meant from the beginning, the two had no real need to contact Hopkins. So why did they? It is a vital question, added 
as it is this contact that has set this report apart from all others. The extraordinariness of the case rests solely on these two CIA people contacting Hopkins for no reason. So why do they do it? It is a question seldom posed as it can only lead to one answer. It was a setup. Furthermore, though they initially expressed extreme concern over the well-being of Linda, the alleged Dan and quote-unquote Richard waited more than a year before contacting Linda and Hopkins. Why? The quote-unquote well-being of Linda soon became irrelevant. One of the agents displayed what was described as quote-unquote obsessive behavior. Apparently, apparently, (laughs) he had been so upset by the incident that he lost it. He kidnapped Linda in an effort to scare her into admitting her culpability and creating a hoax. This unsettling event is the last thing an abductee needs, and she naturally enough became increasingly concerned for her safety. It added a touch of drama to it all, which in the end only meant that the story became more elaborate and Hopkins and Linda more determined to tell their story, end quote. And we're going to come back to this when we get into skepticism, because then it starts going off on, on a lot of theories here. But that's where it starts getting crazy to me, because these the relationship between um, the CIA agents, alleged CIA agents and Linda seems crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. Could you go back? Could you could you please like just just summarize that bit again for me? Because, well, what, what I what I'm understanding is that the the one of the CIA agents involved in this became obsessed with linda is that what you're saying yeah i'm actually going to touch on that from a different source right here because um yeah this part again it sounds like a movie like not a you know i think of like ghostbusters and stuff with the um that's the first thing that comes to mind mixed with spider-man with all the people yelling off the bridge to spidey in one of the earliest spider-man movies i guess at this point but um yeah it all seems pretty uh extraordinary as i said (laughs) but uh yeah so so here we go um so that's the basic story this cia agent abduction incident is pretty strange and to me this is where the story started to sound pretty fantastic according to an article by les hewitt on panoramas.com quote whatever took place in the middle of that november night had a profound effect on linda and even more on the bodyguards Both men became more irrational and began to display psychotic behavior. Dan convinced himself that Linda had an unusual supernatural power or an extraordinary influence on other people. Dan's borderline obsession with Linda took on a much more serious threat when he began stalking her. Things took on a strange turn on 29 April 1991 when both men inflicted a more down-to-earth abduction of Linda. They bundled her into their vehicle and interrogated her for several hours all of this took place in broad daylight and uh i got a little more information i'm gonna interrupt myself real quick and and we'll get back to that (laughs) um yeah it's crazy so i guess i'm kind of piecing this together from other articles but um you know at first they kind of like were introduced and they're like yeah we saw it you know and and they they ended up like interrogating her or interviewing her uh, it's kind of clear because it jumps into this interview with her where she's explaining it. And she said, like, one guy was asking her questions and then another guy looked really mysterious and had, like, a fedora and uh, or, like, a hat drawn down. He, she said he looked like Humphrey Bogart walking through the uh, 
walking through the mist, you know, like the cigarette the smoking fog. man from uh, from X-Files. Exactly. Like your classic spook, CIA spook. And he was kind of like just watching her and kind of intimidating her. And then on this morning, she said she had an appointment at at 1030. And so uh, she was walking out to that. And then the van was opened her and like beckoned her. And she's like, oh, good. They have van service now. And then she stepped inside and someone grabbed her by the arm and then she was kidnapped, man. Um, Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I have not I to have, mention the, you know, Dan becoming convinced that Linda had unusual powers and stuff. But go ahead. Um. I. So, whoever it was was saying that why wouldn't the CIA use their massive resources, uh, to to figure out who this was as opposed to going to Bud Hopkins. Um, I guess if these guys are, are just CIA bodyguards, I assume that's a low-level CIA position. Okay, if you're if you're in the CIA, if you're a CIA agent and you're assigned to protect somebody, um, that seems like some kind of need-to-know basis type stuff. Where it's just like, okay, get this person from point A to point B. Um, so they probably aren't briefed on any super or highly classified information, even though they're in the CIA. So maybe. Uh, Upon witnessing this event, the reason they didn't go to the CIA and say, hey, like, we just saw some crazy stuff. What happened here? I'll bet they were um, maybe they were possibly uh, reluctant to do so kind of for the same reason that pilots have been reluctant to come forward with UFO sightings because they don't want to get assigned to desk duty. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's they didn't. You know, maybe they didn't want to uh, involve the the U.N. guy. Um, True. in it too you know but True. uh it just seems cool, so crazy too and it's i don't know if they were bodyguards or if they were escorts you know for the government or i don't know if the cia would be doing that really um i think we're taking all of this on their word and um yeah it gets really murky here like these details and they just sound so fantastic and i haven't even gotten to the the part that's really interesting here but um so uh, back back to the quote here from Paranorms. Uh, it was Dan who took on the role of the so-called bad cop. At no time did he accept Linda's denials about the original abduction experience. The more protests she uttered, the more upset he became. Six months after the second abduction, Linda suffered a third. Dan brought Linda to a safe house in Long Island and forced her to put on a nightgown, similar to the one she wore when they were saw her floating away from her apartment. <laughs> right tom's eyes are getting a little big um richard was nowhere to be seen but linda did recall that she spotted some official paperwork from the cia linda did manage to escape the house but the foot chase ended when dan caught up with her on a beach dan de- uh, i almost said debunked dan uh, dunked her head into the sea more than once before richard turned up and coaxed dan into releasing her richard took linda home a month later, Richard turned up at her door. He said that Dan's obsessive behavior had become so out of control that he was actually committed to an asylum, end quote. <laughs> I, t- I told you, it gets crazier and crazier, right? <laughs> Can you just picture that? Like her escaping on a beach and running? It's like straight so it's out not, of a thriller, as, okay, as she well, put it's, it. It's not this this poor Linda, okay? Let's let's take her at her word here, okay? <laughs> she, she gets some kind of I weird... Think- whether it's an implant or some kind of something shoved up her nose, she starts, you know, she reads a Hopkins book. She's like, Oh my God, something crazy happened to me. 
She goes to a support group to try and deal with it. Then she gets abducted. Again, we're just taking her at her word here. Then she gets abducted and floated out of her apartment and all sorts of scary crap happens. Then uh, she just so happens this, – this happens to have been observed by uh, a, a rogue CIA agent who becomes obsessed with her and abducts her multiple times and dunks her head in the ocean – uh, some kind of in some kind of freak it's unclear, out. Apparently, it wasn't like a murder attempt or anything. I'm not sure what he was doing, but yeah. After he dresses her up in a nightgown, um, um and, and, it, and so she ran away, and then she there there was an ocean right there, like the ocean. Was. Yeah, it was not, it was a safe house on the beach, I think, on Long Island. Okay, and and uh, yeah, and then the other guy just shows up and rescues her right on time. It's like straight out of like a B movie or something, you know? It is, man. Wow. And I I think you made the point. Like my next comment here is pretty dramatic stuff, eh? And um, yeah, most of this I think is coming from Linda, except for the letters of the witnesses, you know, and the accounts of the witnesses. But uh, yeah, you pretty much have to take Linda's word for it. You know, I hate being skeptical at all of these, but it sounds like a crazy story. Like I like I've said many times, uh, you know, traffic stopped, lights going out, and um. And a UFO over an apartment building in the middle of New York or right on the Bay of New York and uh, and floating beings going into it. And then it takes off. And and then all of a sudden, the, the secretary general of the U.N. is involved, along with some CIA people. Um, and then it just gets into a different <laughs> movie where it becomes like a thriller about a, a deranged CIA guy stalking her. And um, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Because at first it's like when I first heard it, I was just like, "Whoa!" People witness this crazy thing and they just kind of shrugged it off as like, "Oh, I'm I'm watching them film a movie or something," you know. But uh, okay, my yeah. my experience, like I said, I've had one experience in New York, so this is by no means um uh slight. This <laughs> this is a very <laughs> okay. And I, you know, I, I'm getting up there in years, so I go to bed pretty early these days. So I was not on any bridge in New York at 3 a.m. However, I'm fairly confident in saying that there's probably a certain amount of, of car traffic uh, at all times on the bridges uh, to and from right. Manhattan Island. Uh, so it seems like an event like that where cars shutting down and people getting out on the bridge – would at least warrant a whole bunch of news coverage. Um, it, it seems like that's something yeah. uh, that would uh, – th- that everyone who was on that bridge would be like, hey, man, my car shut down, and we saw a UFO. Uh, and it seems like a lot of uh, news outlets would happily pick up on something like that. Uh, have you did you encounter any news articles about this or is this all from Linda? Well, one of the witnesses is a truck driver for the New York Post, which apparently the office is just like a block away or something like that for the New York Post. And um, apparently some of the reporters actually saw the light, but they were just kind of annoyed and assumed it was like some revelers out in the town or some pranksters or something. And they just went inside. <laughs> but, yeah, it gets a little murky there because. That's what I thought when I first heard it. It's like, why, how have I not heard of this before? Why isn't this one of the most famous UFO cases ever, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And if if it's at 3 a.m., I, I get it. The traffic is not going to be as heavy. Um, but I, I seriously, I, I, there had to have been at least a few dozen cars on the bridge. And at least a few dozen cars experiencing this uh, would... Like, like, imagine that, man. Imagine if there was just a few, a few dozen cars on the Coronado Bridge here in San Diego just mysteriously lost power, and that would be that would be all over the news around here. And right. I just, I don't know, I don't understand, especially uh, if it's right near the New York Post, which is not exactly a uh, super duper reputable paper. But you can't, <laughs> I think I quoted from that. Yeah, you know, they, they, you'd think they would have picked that up and ran with it, but. Right. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that traffic's going to start piling up, obviously. Um, we'll get in, we'll get into that situation yeah. a little bit more, but um, I think, yeah, we should probably wrap it up here. And then the next episode, we could kind of go over a little bit more over the, um, some of the witnesses and stuff. Um, and then we'll get into some, uh, some speculation and some skepticism about this case here too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Dan and Richard are definitely the most, um, interesting witnesses. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of lost faith in the whole story once I started hearing about that, but, uh, I just have a hard time picturing it and all the timing and everything. Just, uh, who knows though? I don't, I don't know what, what's going on, you know? Well, I'll tell you what Linda knows and, and, and Bo knows also. That's Bo true. knows. Bo knows UFOs. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> that wasn't on my no fear shirt. But, uh, <laughs> all all right, right, man. Well, uh, well, yeah. We'll be back at you next week with uh, with the follow up to this amazing story. And uh, I hope you guys are all taking care of yourselves. I love you. I know Tom loves you. You betcha. I love all of you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please, please, uh, if you like what we're doing here. Uh, just please leave us a rating and um, send us an email with some ideas for what you'd like us to cover. We always really appreciate that. Absolutely. Follow us on Facebook. You know, we live for your feedback here and we want to have conversations with you guys. You know, like I know we're sitting here kind of slinging mud on a lot of these stories. I always end up going into it wanting to truly believe. But if you can, can't tell yet, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about this story at this point. Um, but uh but hey, at the very that's why I love doing this because at the very least you end up with a really interesting slash uh, terrifying slash hilarious story. So regardless of whether it's true or not, that's why I like doing these ones in particular. Yeah, well, it's going to get interesting. Uh, Even more interesting too. than this. Cool. <laughs> well, maybe not more, but uh, there's there's some interesting details here. Yeah, for sure. Rad. <laughs> All right. Bye, all. Love you. Love you guys. Mwah.